Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. My name's Owen Bennett and joining me this week we have Paul War, Graham Demony and Ned Simons. If you were hoping to hear talk about the EU referendum, then stop this podcast now and download our other one, which is out today. This is an EU referendum-free podcast. Yes, other things have been happening this week, including actual your mama jokes at PMQs. Just when you thought it couldn't get any more ridiculous in Parliament. The largest petition ever submitted to MPs was also discussed this week. We'll be talking about the phenomenon that is Donald Trump also, are the Conservative Party trying to screw over Labour with boundary reforms? But let's start with PMQs. David Cameron and Jeremy Corbyn traded blows about each other's mothers on Wednesday during heated exchanges. As the Labour leader and Prime Minister sparred over the future of the NHS, a Labour MP shouted at Cameron across the Cameron's chamber to ask what his mother would think. Pausing to address the heckle, Cameron replied with these words. Oh, I think I know what my mother would say. I think she'd look across the dispatch box and she'd say, put on a proper suit, do up your tie and sing the national anthem. Paul, you were in the chamber when David Cameron made those remarks. What was the reaction in the room? Because it sounded like Cameron, he doesn't usually respond to heckles, actually took this quite personally. Well, he was obviously clearly riled by not just one, but three Labour women heckling exactly the same thing, which was, ask your mother. And, you know, as with Calm Down, dear, ironically, it was Angela Eagle who started this all off. Um, He can lose his rag a bit. Now, I don't want to use the Flashman term because no one in the world knows what that is. Can you explain to. what the Flashman... Does it refer I, to the character in Blackadder? I don't know. I, I, I thought Rick, Rick Mayer, I right? thought it was Rick Mayer and Blackadder. No, it doesn't. It refers to the Tom Brown school days, originally this bully character at rugby public school who bullies other little kids. And then he became another character who was sort of revered in a later sort of spoof of that novel. Anyway, you I don't know any of that. <laughs> if you don't know, it got out with members of the public. Yeah. So we're not going down the Flashman. I pay attention. The fact is... <laughs> Flashman just is a sort of cipher for someone who's a bit bullying in Parliament. Now, did he sound hectoring, bullying, nasty? Yeah, but it was a professional foul. And what's quite interesting is that... From who? Who is From Cameron. Because he, under under duress, in those circumstances, actually he's pretty quick on his feet. And boy, was he quick yesterday. So it wasn't a pre-prep line, this at all. It obviously came from the heart about what his mum would think of Jeremy Corbyn. And it was a professional foul because... It was dirty, but boy, was it effective because a lot of Labour MPs I've talked to since then think, God, that's going to have cut through with our voters, with floating voters. This whole idea about, you know, patriotism, this idea about him not singing a national anthem is something that really does get through to 
working class voters. Do you think he had that, the kind of line he used um, prepared from the week before when Cameron's mum had caused a stir by kind of protesting against cuts? Do you think he had that ready to deploy then, but then didn't because Corbyn didn't bring it up and probably doesn't want to talk about people's mothers? So do you think that was in the bag? It, might, it, have totally... been, it might have been sort of in his brain, I suspect. Mm. But the way he delivered it, uh, I think it was, it was incredibly effective. And yeah, that was the great irony of this. Corbyn doesn't ever want to talk about Cameron's mother. He, he's not that kind of politician. He makes absolutely clear. He did an hour interview before Christmas. He hates getting his family involved in anything, hates other politicians' families involved in or dragged into disputes. So, you know, no wonder his spokesman said after PMQs, look, we urge everybody, including the Labour Party, not to use this kind of personal insults. This is all part of Corbyn and his way of trying to change the way that politics is conducted. Because like, like Ned said, last week was a perfect opportunity for him to bring up the fact that David Cameron's own mother had been speaking out against some of the government cuts and Corbyn decided not to do it. Now, anyone else would have gone, this is a great opportunity to highlight what's going on. Corbyn says no. Cameron then brings it up the next week with a bit of a dig. Corbyn still doesn't want to play. Yeah, to be fair to Corbyn, though, you can't expect him to change his line on that. And a lot of people get a lot of credit with the public for not doing it. I mean, he doesn't have to do it. I no, mean, of course not. Backbenchers can do it on his behalf, you know, etc. But I, I think what... To be fair to Corbyn, he chose the right issue this week, which was doctors. Yeah, let's talk about actually what was, because you know, Cameron's done a very good job of knocking that off the, the radar, which maybe he was meant to do. Um, so he talked a lot about junior doctors this week, and it, Cameron pulled out this stat, didn't he? That actually, the number of deaths attributed to, to staff members at weekend or so is actually higher than we thought, but when it's we looked high, into it's, it... It's all baloney. I mean, it's, it's higher than the 6,000 originally Jeremy Hunt claimed last summer. He now claim it's 11,000, but both of those figures are bitterly disputed by junior doctors, bitterly disputed by academics who rip it apart and say whether or not there's even any excess deaths is in, in, in doubt. But the cause of them is really in doubt. And linking it to junior doctors is you know, a leap too far for many people. And it looks like we're going to find out next week from the British Medical Journal, which l launched a lot of this uh, research last year, that actually they're going to have some pretty bad news for David Cameron and Jeremy Hunt on whether or not you can make that leap. And doesn't it just show that the, the government has a, has a real hunger for this fight with the junior doctors? They know full well that bringing out this stat, you know, even a kind of doubling down up in the ante yeah. on it, it's just completely goaded. Doubling down and up in the ante. You can, can you do both? Oh, both know. Who knows? They're kind of cliches you can, we throw it, around. Yeah. Um, You're not Bond, are you? It shows uh, <laughs> what gave that away, I mean. <laughs> um, it just shows they have the, the appetite for the fight and they, they knew for well what they were doing and, and the reason to bring up that stat is just to, it's just to go doctors and say we're not backing down in, 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 our, in our fight. And I think that's that. That's what Cameron has always he's got an eye on. He's always got an eye on you know what the wider public message is. He thinks that the doctors are overreaching themselves and that they'll, they'll lose public support. I think he's kind of wrong about that, but we'll see during the the, uh, the next next month's strikes. The key thing, though, going back to that that professional foul, is that he, unlike Corbyn, has an ear for Middle England, an ear for a floating voter, and that's why he does things like the nationalist national anthem stuff. Um, and if Corbyn's got any sense, he needs to raise his game on that. I was in uh, one of the rare times I got my hair cut, and there's a couple of blokes in there and um, talking about Corbyn. And they said, well, doesn't even sing the National Anthem, does he? So it has got cut through. It has got cut through. I don't like this guy. He doesn't sing the National Anthem. So there we are. So from Parliament at its worst to perhaps Parliament at its best, MPs will debate whether to give the meningitis B vaccine to all children under 11 years old after a petition with more than 760,000 signatures was submitted. 
Parliament's Petition Committee ruled MPs should debate the issue of the mass support for the reform led to it becoming the most popular e-petition since the system's introduction in 2011. The date for the debate is not yet set because MPs would first like to hear from some of the families who have been affected by meningitis B as well as from medical experts. Um, we are joined now by uh, HuffPost parents writer Amy Packham who's been writing a lot about this issue. Amy, just talk me through this. At what point did this petition seem to really take off? So it was last week that um, Faye Burdett's mum released the photos of her daughter when she was um, on the bed just before she died from meningitis. Uh, she shared her story with Meningitis Now, so we got in contact with them last week, who said we, her mum wanted her to share the story. So um, as soon as we wrote the story and shared on our social media channels, loads of parents started commenting and tagging their friends, and you could see the conversation unfold in these comments talking about... Some of them weren't aware that the, babies, the vaccine for babies were fr was free and others were worried if they should have to pay for the meningitis vaccine. And you could just see them worrying, should we go and get it now? We need to sign the petition. We didn't know there was a petition. So the petition was started the year before. But obviously when um, Jenny started promoting her story and saying people need to sign the petition, a lot more people began to like pick it up and see it. And then the next day um, it... Matt Dawson tweeted that his son had... He's a former England rugby player. Yeah, course, yeah. so he, um, he released some shocking photos of his son who had contracted meningitis but survived and he spoke about the two weeks of hell that he ha he'd had and also promoted this petition. So it's like two days of very shocking stories and um, obviously completely different outcomes but I think parents seeing this with children these ages were just completely... I think it just struck something in their head that thought we've got to, we've got to do something yeah. about this. Because the, the, the two-year-old girl, I think it was 11 days, wasn't it, from contracting yeah. meningitis to her dying. Mm. And that she died on Valentine's Day and the mum released the pictures very soon after that, kind of when the, the girl was sort of healthy and mm. then her in, in the hospital bed. And it is a, a very powerful image. Um, these petitions on these web are, that are submitted to government, some of them are quite jokey. I mean, the most popular one before this, for example, was banning Donald Trump from entering the UK, which some people might think is very serious. But do you think it, it, it now adds another um, way for people to engage in politics, the fact that there is this way now of directly communicating with people, and it's, it's empowered people a little bit? Yeah, I do think that there are a lot of these petitions, and maybe people don't realise anyone can start them, but this is a petition that uh, a parent has started himself um, back in 2013, and it's actually potentially making a difference. So... Being, we wrote the um, story about it having more than 700,000 signatures and I think that's sort of shown parents that something like one person can change something. If this man didn't set up this, the petition in 2013, then this might not be happening now. But I think it's shown that they do have the power to take things to Parliament if they think something needs to be changed. Paul, what do you think about this petition system? Because when it came in, it was sort of derided as, oh, well, you know, to get 100,000 signatures, Parliament has to provide a response, has to consider whether to debate it or not. A lot of people were sort of cynical, that, well, what's the debate going to change? But surely this shows that a debate really can change something. Well, what's good about this week is it's shown that actually this is a very serious subject. I mean, sometimes e-petitions, to be honest, um, are some of them a bit far too jokey, frivolous, you know, you, you, 
you can, if you're Guido Fawkes, you can, you can tweet a link to something, you can get something going. And, you know, I think something on the death penalty being debated or something, which no way in a million years is Parliament ever going to change its mind on. You know, they want a debate on that. And you could say that's legitimate. But on a subject like this, where a power of one image, uh, or two images, Matt Dawson's child as well, really motivated the numbers. Um, it shows that actually John Burkow's attempt to open up Parliament to the people is kind of working. And some credit as well to um, fusty old Sir George Young, who's... Um, whose idea, who agreed to this in the first place. So George Young is? He's a former leader of the Commons right. who, who agreed to this idea. Um, William Haig pushed it. And to be fair to them, you know, it's kind of worked. But when it comes to the issue itself of this meningitis B vaccine, which we shouldn't lose sight of, don't forget there are quite a few medical experts and people in NICE, the people who do the, the decision ultimately whether or not to grant this vaccine for over 11 months, um, over, over two years, they you know, still are digging in a bit and saying, actually, there's not enough evidence that there's enough children that are susceptible to this to justify the cost of doing this vaccination for everybody. So that's going to come back as an issue. It's very emotive on one side. Of course, if your child is, you know, dies from this, then you want to make sure it never happens to anyone else again. But there's this, it brings into sharp relief the whole idea of how much money we've got to spend on the NHS and whether or not we can ration care. I think also on the petitions as well, even the ones that don't make it to a parliamentary debate, what they have become, I think, is a rallying point for causes. So you see people, whatever the cause is, um, on Facebook, on social media, and just in real life, it's a, it's a focal point for causes to kind of focus on and rally around, which didn't really exist so much before. So you see people kind of sharing with their friends, saying a petition on this issue. So even if it doesn't get to Parliament, and even if Parliament then doesn't do anything, it's a way to kind of foster the debate, which I think didn't exist before. Ned, would you say that it's a way of, for example, coordinating a public outcry? <laughs> yes, usually. Excellent, because that's the name of this week's quiz. Uh, public outcry or big fat lie. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read out some petitions. Amy, you're new to this, but you're going to love this, right? Okay. I'm going to read you're not out some petitions, uh, and you've got to tell me whether these are genuine petitions submitted to uh, Parliament and then rejected, or whether they're ones that I've made up. Okay. Okay. okay, and so what's the two choices? Public outcry. That's a real one. If it's, if it's real, yeah. or big fat lie. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. It's easy. It's easy. Can we get on mic for that, Graham? Can you? Yeah. yeah. Um, leaning in. Okay. Right. <laughs> Rename Crossrail the Bowie Line. <laughs> oh, that's got to that be you. Public outcry, big fat lie. Big fat lie. That, big fat lie. That's Ned. Uh, yeah. That sounds like Bennett. Paul says big fat lie. Amy. I'm going to say public outcry. It's a lie. <laughs> All right, Graham. Uh, Amy's right. It is a genuine oh. lie. It was rejected. Oh, no. It was rejected by Parliament. Did you start it though? It was, like, it doesn't matter. Like, the point is, it was submitted. Okay. Make MPs have to sit seven days a week as they are providing a public service. Public outcry. That's. I think that's real. Public. Ned thinks it's real. It's, it sounds like the general public to me. <laughs> he says so dismissively like, idiots in the general public <laughs> sounds like an angry person on Twitter something they would say yeah, it's I, real. You think, yeah. I think it's public outcry you're right it's public outcry that was real yeah. uh, reinstate images, reinstate Jose I don't know it got rejected oh. so reinstate Jose Mourinho as Chelsea manager as he was fired without just cause that's so moronic yeah. it's got to be true Yeah, I think that's public outcry yeah. so moronic it's got to be fake and it's got to be <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon sounds real I made that one up. Oh. Yeah. I could see it but in his eyes. I think that could be real. It could be real, couldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, Chris, there's one here. Why do we spend money sending Tim Peake into space as all he seems to do is tweet and talk to school children? 
That's all he's doing. Is that, is that public outcry, Big Fat Lie? Public outcry, I reckon. Is that a petition? Yeah, some petitioned that. Or did they? Ah, <laughs> caught you out. I think public it's true, outcry. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's Big Fat Lie. That's, a, <laughs> that's a question that I've got, because all Tim Peake seems to do is tweet things to give out Brit Awards. Is it not his science to do up there? Can you blog on this? I, I might do. Okay, and finally, um, make... 29th of February, a bank holiday, as we don't get paid for working the extra day. Public outcry. 29th of February, yeah. you said. Oh, it was the 28th. 29th. That's got to be you. No, that is public outcry. <laughs> Someone put that in. So that's this week's quiz. Uh, thanks so much, Amy, for coming in and talking us through it. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. Of course, one of the most popular petitions was whether or not we should ban Donald Trump from entering the UK something which might become even more relevant if he becomes president, as despite offending and attacking almost everyone, including George W. Bush, and even threatening to punch people in the face, Trump easily swept to victory in the Nevada Republican caucuses this week. So, is he going to win the nomination? Ned, is he going to win the nomination? Yeah, I think so. Right, I think next topic. No, yeah, no, no, like Kevin Keegan. Because, I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, despite this ludicrous figure that you can laugh at, but he won Nevada easily. He won New Hampshire. He won South Carolina. He's got a lead in almost every Super Tuesday state, which will March the 1st. So I don't see really how Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, who are the other candidates, can catch him up. Let's have a listen to one of the greatest victory speeches of all time. We won with young. We won with old. We won with highly educated. We won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated. The man's got class. You can't <laughs> deny it. Yeah. Just, you know, a calm man, isn't he? So, so, so Donald Trump is this crazy figure, right? I'm not, I'm not going to get super saying that, yeah? No, I think that's fact. Isn't and it? is he making, it seems to me that he's making the other candidates who are, some might say, equally as crazy, appear normal, right? But I think it's kind of moved the debate so far towards crazy. The others get away with it. There's a debate tonight um, with Trump and Rubio and Cruz. And what we're going to see there is kind of Rubio and Cruz trying to beat each other up to be the anti-Trump candidate because they think the only way they can kind of catch him up is to get all the other Republicans who don't like him to rally behind them and try and catch him up. But it's quite hard because, as Trump himself points out, not everyone who votes for Rubio or Cruz, will then go to the other one. Some of them will go to Trump as well. So he's got a really difficult job. So it's like one. when Burnham was trying to get the Jeremy Corbyn second preferences. Yeah, basically, yeah. yes. And it's very similar to that in the sense that, you know, you've got Trump is the Corbyn candidate simply because he's the anti-establishment candidate. And everyone else, you know, the, the Rubio, he looks the most plausible contender for president on the Republican side, let's be frank. Um, but everybody else around them, you know, your Carsons, your, everyone else, the hangers-on, um, they all just resemble the Burnham, Cooper, Kendall uh, set of professional politicians. And they're finding it really, really difficult to cope with. I mean, that, that, that soundbite about him saying, look, I love... Poorly educated yeah. people. They're the smartest people in the world. That actually is a bit of political genius, in my opinion, on the part of Trump, because he's getting across the message to the people he really needs in a general election as well as in a Republican election, which is the hardworking voters, many of whom aren't well-educated, but he's saying, look, you're, you're smart. You might not have the fancy degree in your, in, from Yale or wherever like all these guys, but you're, you know you're smart. You're shrewd. You know, you know how to pick a winner, and I'm a winner. And I thought that was quite... Quite canny on his part. And also Nigel Farage is something similar at a rally in Essex. I, I was at in my days of following Farage. And he, and he said this thing, I mean, Essex, a part of the world where people tell it like it is. 
And it was such a brilliant thing to say. It's almost like, you guys tell it like it is. And if you guys are here, you guys know you're right. And I'm here with you and I'll listen to you. And it was just a wonderful turn of phrase of just, of just making me think, I'll, you know, I'll listen to you guys because you guys are right. And it's, it's what kind Trump of what has managed thing. to do, uh, kind of, it's the authentic thing, but he's the least authentic person there is. <laughs> I mean, we can laugh at how authentic is Farage, how authentic is Corbyn, but Trump's position have changed completely. He's so inauthentic, but he's so good at sounding authentic. Yeah, and it's a bit like George Bush. Let's be frank, George Bush, again... Senior or junior? Junior, who, George W. Bush, who actually, you know, wasn't the smartest guy uh, in the toolbox, let's be frank. But boy, well, was, he, in toolbox, but pretty, boy yeah. was he politically canny. He wiped the floor with the vastly better educated, you know, Al Gore and Kerry. And, and he, he laid punches when he needed to. He was a good delegator. And he became president for two terms. Now, everyone derided him as being, you know, a bit of a buffoon, a bit of an oaf. But actually, at the end of the day, who was it who was president for two terms? It was George Bush. And that's why I think, actually, Trump should be learning from what Bush did in all these swing states that he needs, Ohio, Pennsylvania. And it's not easy for, for the Democrats at all, well, if you we, can get some of those. We should talk Rust about the Democrats votes. as well, because we've got Clinton and Sanders. Um, Super Tuesday could be the knockout blow for Clinton. If she can win most of them, then I think you'll get calls from the party for Sanders to kind of quit. Although he's quite close in quite a lot. He'll win Vermont easily, that's his own state. Clinton will win Arkansas. Some are up for grabs, but if Hillary can kind of knock him out next week, then she, I think the kind of momentum will start to build. And she's further ahead in delegates and kind of momentum than it looks on the outside. When you look at these rallies and things, she's doing better, I think, than perhaps it looks when you watch it on TV, because Sanders is more kind of one final point. I, I wouldn't rule out Rubio, though. I mean, as much as it looks like it's going to be Trump uh, winning quite a few Super Tuesday states, his game plan, and there was a decent piece in the New York Times today from one of his supporters saying, look, he's holding his nerve, holding his nerve. He's going to knock out Cruz. If he wins a, a large chunk of the Super Tuesday southern states, Cruz's game is kind of over. If Cruz can't win, the evangelicals in the south, and, and he might only just win Texas. Uh, up against Trump and Rubio, then it gets interesting. And if if Cruz is forced out of the race and you've got Rubio, who's got a vast, vast machine and money on his side, I wouldn't rule him out. Rubio has to win something at some point, though, doesn't he? He does. He's got to start winning He keeps declaring victory when he comes in third place. He's got to start winning quick. Okay, that leads us nicely onto Graham's stat of the week. Jingle for that yet? That is the jingle. That is just you saying it. Disappointing. Okay, stat of the week. Uh, Republicans haven't won a presidential election without a Bush or Nixon on the ticket since 1928, when Herbert Hoover won the White House. Don't look at me like that. It's That's true. <laughs> that is good. I didn't think it was quite that. It is that long. long. Yeah. Yeah. Nixon, of course, was vice president for two terms. Yeah. And so, what? To finish the stat off, because a few more, there's a few more substats to this. Yeah, yeah, the period in question covers 21 presidential elections starting in 1932. Democrats won 12 times and Republicans 9. There we are. So, Loads of stats in that. Good stat. A lot to think on. But back here in the UK, the Tory government has been accused of attempting to rig the system in their favour after details of another policy emerged that gives the Tories a huge advantage over their rivals. Officials have announced details of how the UK's electoral map is to be redrawn, but an analysis of the Boundary Commission's proposal suggests it could cost the Labour Party 10 MPs to the Conservatives at the next election. The plan to make each parliamentary seat roughly the same size, as well as reducing the number of MPs by 50 to 600, was ditched under the Tory coalition with the Lib Dems, but has become a priority now the Conservatives have a majority. Graham, you've been looking into this. So this is 
going to make it even more difficult for Labour to win the next general election. Is that right? Yeah. And we're just going to let this happen, yeah? Not well, that I'd bother either way, but... Yeah, so... Um, as you said in the intro there, the plan is to reduce the number of MPs by, by 50 and to equalise, to use the jargon, uh, the size of each constituency. So um, at the moment they kind of vary wildly because of various different kind of social economic reasons. People have moved from one part of the country to the other, some have been more prosperous than the others. Because size of constituencies isn't done on geography, is it? It's done on population. It's, right. done, it's done on population. So what the, what the boundary commission, what the government, what the boundary commission, the independent boundary commissions do is equalise them between around 70, 71,000 and 78,000. So that's that, that's fine. But the upshot of this is that um, Labour look like that they will uh, lose on net kind of ten seats, ten MPs to the Conservatives. This was based on a analysis in the Times today by uh, Lewis Baston. Um, that's interesting in and of itself. But there's a whole number of other um, policies that the Tory government has introduced that Labour have been a little bit upset about that they say would rig the system in, in the Tories' favour. So we can run through a few of those. Yeah. One, of, one of those is the uh, cuts to so-called short money, which is the money that opposition parties get based on the number of MPs or, or, or votes they have. The government wants to cut that by about 19%. So that would affect Labour Party, Lib Dems, UKIP, the Green Party. They'd have less money to provide a robust opposition to the government. Uh, House of Lords reform. Uh, we all remember how uh, the House of Lords blocked the uh, tax benefits cuts, uh, um, George Osborne's famous tax benefits cuts. In the immediate aftermath of that, the government set up a, a snap review, and the result of that is that they will be curbing some of the House, or they want to curb some of the House of Lords' powers to, to, to veto these so-called statutory instruments. Uh, the trade union bill will limit the number, the amount of money that the Labour Party can get via trade unions, about £6 million quid they could be uh, losing and voter registration so-called individual voter registration which means that people have to register onto the electoral roll themselves rather than by their household um, there were some figures out this week by the um, Electoral Commission, again, suggesting that 800,000 people have already dropped off the electoral roll. And interestingly, the people who have dropped off are, are, are broadly young people, university towns, people who are more likely to vote Labour than Conservative. So put that all together and you've got a kind of a kind of a scenario where maybe, as the Labour is suggesting, the, the deck is being stacked in the Tories' favour. And um, so basically, perpetual Tory government for forevermore well, seems, to be, the, seems Tory to be the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the suggestion. Um, and what can I do about this? Is, is this commission, is this proposal just, I guess, at the kind of putting it out for opinion stage, or is this. Well, boundary reviews, you know, they, they happen periodically, they've happened for a long time. What normally happens is that the opposition. Um, or oh, both parties try and get their act together. This is where you find out how effective they really are. So they'll lobby locally, they'll make a case for saying, well, that boundary shouldn't be there, it should be shifted, there's a historic yeah. river that goes through here, we shouldn't cross that, or whatever. But I think the Boundary Commission, having postponed this, as Graham says, from, from the LibCon coalition, there's an appetite to get a move on. Um, now, they'll have to do it under normal statutory procedures, and it does take a couple of years, but it seems pretty hard to counter the case that you know, you should have equal uh, or more equal sized constituencies. So I think the actual principle won't change. Where it will get dirty is in individual seats and 
believe me, every single MP in the House of Commons who's threatened by this, and quite a lot are, although it looks like a small number of seats, it does affect a lot of MPs around their area. Um, this will be focusing their minds more than anything else. More, maybe this week, even more than the EU debate. For Ooh, don't mention the EU debate. That's another podcast. <laughs> but, you know, uh, there, there, there's nothing that motivates an MP more than his own seat and whether or not it's going to disappear or whether, in Labour's case, will Momentum, for example, the left-wing grassroots organisation, use this effectively to deselect Labour MPs that they don't like? So you've got people like Tristram Hunt, people like Liz Kendall, Frank Field, all in the firing line under these boundary changes. And who's to say they could you know, survive. No doubt we'll be talking about, about that much more in future weeks. Thank you guys. If you would like to listen to our EU podcast, please do. That's also available today. If not, we will see you next week. Thanks very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.